Three months ago, I took probably the most significant trip of my life that I'd ever take. Pastor Jerry took me to a place in Africa, and I'd never been to the continent of Africa before, and we went to Uganda. And, and, and the thing about Uganda is this, is that we're doing some huge things in Uganda. Aside from educating over 500 pastors and getting them ready to pastor, uh, on top of that with City Hope College, your church, what we do is we actually help a refugee camp, and I would get to go see it. And that's special to me, because my mother escaped a communist nation and ended up in a United Nations refugee camp. And I never thought I'd actually get to go see a real one. There's a crisis going on in Uganda right now. Really, it's not in Uganda, but it's because of the northern nation, South Sudan, right above there. And what's going on is they're in their third civil war in 20 years. You say third-ish because the wars never really stop. And after 20 years, and after, after kicking out pretty much everybody educated, there's only one doctor for every 100,000 people there, 50% of girls get married before the age of 12 in that nation. It is a crazy thing. Over 800,000 refugees have flooded south of the border, and they found the place in Uganda. And they're not in tents because they've been there so long. They're in huts. And there's a pastor there, and his name is Solomon. And Solomon looked at this thing, and he was looking at all of these schools that the United Nations were setting up for all the children of these refugees, and he, he toured them, and he realized something, that the kids couldn't even pay attention in class because they were hungry. No one was feeding them. So Solomon set out to feed these kids. Every single day, Solomon feeds 55,000 children a day. It's a lot of kids. And so I get, I, I'm told, hey, I get to go see this. I get to go see this happen. We hop in the land, in the land cruiser. We, we, we go into the refugee camp, and we're about to visit eight different schools. And every single time we get out of the schools, we step out of the land cruiser, and children just flood around us, and we're mobbed like we're celebrities. It's the coolest thing. And he's showing us every single container of food that City Hope has, has bought and done all these different stuff. with, And it's, it's mind-boggling. We go to one school. We go to two schools. We go to three schools. We get mobbed every single time we get to the, to the school. We'll, we'll pull up in the courtyard. We'll step out of the land cruiser, and we get mobbed. And we're told that the last school we're going to, because it's lunchtime, we get to actually serve the food. And so I'm thinking, man, this is, this is going to be incredible. Pinnacle moment of my life. My life has been building to this moment. I'm so excited. Who am I, Lord, to be doing this? All of these amazing spiritual humanitarian thoughts. And I had no thoughts for my first steps. And so we pull up, and I just don't remember what I was thinking I just remember pulling up, and the children did not mob the vehicles. If I look back, I think there were some pretty obvious warning signs. And if I had paid attention to them, I may not have been risking my life like I did. Because as we pull up and we get out, I remember the first thing, the first thing I saw was the children weren't running towards us. The children were huddled against the buildings with, with their clothes covering their faces trying to hide. I thought, oh, that's no big deal. Didn't think anything of it. Just kept walking. As they saw me get out of the vehicle, suddenly I heard this wall of noise. 
because suddenly over 800 children started screaming in like 10 different languages, a bunch of different stuff. And the pastor looked at me and said, oh, Pastor Solomon's like, oh, oh, they think we are celebrities. I'm like, okay, great. Except the children were still not running to us. Warning sign number 100. And as we began to walk, the screaming began to get more frantic. And I'm like, these kids are not happy. This is not happy screaming. This is, this is like when you're watching a horror movie and you can see like the person with the axe coming towards the main character and they can't see it. It is that kind of yelling. And what we did not realize was as we pulled in that something had happened right before we had pulled in. That a, a, a swarm of about uh, 10,000 African bees had settled over the top part of the camp, over the top part of the school. And as we pulled in, it began to get closer and closer and closer to the land cruiser. And as we stepped out and began to walk towards the children, the cloud began to follow us and began to get closer. And the children were yelling, you're going to die. All of you are going to die. You crazy person, you're going to die. And I'm just waving back, hey, how you doing? I'm so happy to be here. Mm, yes, all right, I'm so happy to be here. I'm serving your food today. Yes, absolutely. And, 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 and I began to feel something touch my ear. And then I began to feel a few things touch my ear. And I, I took my hat off and just kind of beat them back a little bit. And then I felt all at once a clump just get me. And I, you know that, just that feeling where you know this is bad. You, you don't know what this is, but this is bad. And so suddenly my head is covered in African bees. Now, if you don't know what African bees do, Google African bees. They are angry. In America, we've got bees, and what they'll do is they'll land, and they'll dance around for a little bit, and then, you know, they'll sting. All right? African bees are angry, mean creatures, and what they'll do is they will grab a hold of your skin, and they will stick their stinger in as far as they can, so they grab a hold for leverage and sting almost immediately. And what I did was, I, I, I did probably my greatest impression of the stop, drop, and roll thing that I remembered when I was like a little kid in elementary school. I'm screaming. I, I'm beating the back with my cap. We dive into a classroom, and then the Land Cruiser pulls up, and we dive back into the Land Cruiser. I was stung about five times in my right ear, about four times in my cheek. Just pretty much my face was a beautiful, swollen mess. Some people said it improved it, all right? But I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Here's the worst part about it is the other half of our party was in the Land Cruiser behind us. And do you know what they were doing? Were they helping? No. Oh, this is amazing. All right? This is incredible. Should we help? No, no. This is good. This is good footage. We're not going to get this any other way. And so I'm just being recorded dying out there. I lost my hearing in my right ear, but it could have been worse. It could have been way worse if I had paid attention to my first steps. And tonight as we start this brand new series, what I've got for you is not some burn the house down preaching time, but what I have for you tonight is this. Let's say that you were to ask me to go out to coffee. If you were to say, hey, I have Jesus, now what do I do? What are the first things that I do? Tonight what you're going to get is you're going to get what I would say at that table. Tonight what you're going to get is you're going to get that pastoral talk. And some of you think, okay, well, you know, I'm 
I've been a Christian for a really long time. Like, you know, it's, it, it's all, I, I, I'm pretty much going to tune out at this point. This must be for the beginners in the room. Let me tell you something. One of the reasons why we struggle with the 301s and the 201s is because we don't get the 101s. All right, because let's just be honest, if you remember some of your educational history here, is that sometimes we struggle with the 201s and the 301s because we didn't necessarily pay attention in the 101s. We really didn't pay attention. And so tonight what I want to do is I want to talk to you as a pastor. I want to talk to you as a discipler that there are, if, if, whether you're in this room tonight and you have just given your life to God, whether you're in this room and you have found him again and you're starting over with him, whether you're in this room and you need fresh new breath breathed into your relationship with God, where you don't know how to categorize where you've been, but guess what? You need some newness in it. Tonight, I have three steps that you've got to take. Three steps that you've got to take in order to walk this thing out. The first things you've got to do. And so the first step you've got to take is pretty simple. Step one, evict your ex, all right? Evict your ex. Just let that soak in for a second here. Evict your ex. Look at your neighbor and say, evict your ex. There's some emotion behind that. You may need to talk after this, all right? If, if you have to take that literally, please see somebody afterwards, all right? <laughs> If this is a literal something you need to do, please find me. Please find me afterwards. This is a bad situation for you, okay? Step one, evict your ex. See, history teaches us when the new world was still new, people would set out into expeditions to explore and to find gold and cities of gold. And in a conquistador named Cortez decided that he was going to get a band of men, join them together, and look for gold. But here's the problem, is that he wasn't the first one to do it. But every single one beforehand, when they had landed, the men would eventually turn on the leader, kill the leader, get back in the boat, and head back to Europe. And Cortez knew that in order for them to go deeper than anybody's ever gone before, in order for them to get farther than anybody's ever charted before, in order for them to find these cities of gold, he needed focused men. He needed men who were just focused on forward. So he did something crazy. He gave a secret private command to a couple of dedicated officers. And as soon as all the men had come ashore, those two officers lit the boats on fire. I don't know if you've ever served that boss before, all right? I don't know if you've ever worked for that crazy manager before. But as the men got on the shore, they looked back, and the only things that could have gotten them back to where they came from were on fire, of course, the men were not happy with Cortez, but they knew at that moment that the only way back was forward. The only way to go was ahead. And I, I, do, I do a fair, just because of the, the you know, I'm, I, I'm a pastor with City Hope College. I get to be around college students all the time. I do a fair amount of weddings every single year. Uh, last year, I did like four or five weddings. The year before, I did eight weddings. I, I, I do a few weddings each year. And, and at City Hope Church, we, we require something really important. It's called premarital counseling. Why? Because we all need it. All right? We act like we're know what we're about to get into. We don't. We really don't. And so we have three weeks of premarital counseling where we go through everything from communication to what to expect in marriage, how to set up your, your marriage for success before it even begins. And we get some really honest talks. 
we talk about the past. We talk about what did you witness from your parents and your family. We talk about what do you expect from a spouse. Are you looking for another mama who's just in the form of a wife? All right. Are you looking for somebody to fix those insecurities because daddy never told you you were pretty before? We, we do, see, yeah, some of you are like, yeah, you're never doing my premarital counseling <laughs> ever, ever. Most of the time it's my wife saying that, and I'm sitting back, like, honey, honey, back, 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 all right? <laughs> we do it together. But imagine, if you will, picture yourself. I don't know if you're with a significant other right now, but imagine if you need to imagine an imaginary significant other. Imagine a significant other. Ladies, this gentleman, this guy has just gone to a knee. He's just shown you the most beautiful ring. He's put it on your finger. You've set a date, and now you're time for prenatal counseling. Gentlemen, she is everything that you've always wanted and dreamt of. You have worked and saved and starved yourself and gotten this ring, and you have no idea why diamonds cost so much, but they do. And you put it on her finger and you've gotten to the point where you're about to do premarital counseling and it's getting close to the ceremony. I want you to picture yourself there sitting across from Trisha and I. And imagine, if you will, as as the session wraps up, suddenly your fiancé says, "Uh, Pastor Danny, hold on one second. I, um, I need to say something just because we've been talking about commitment and we've been talking about longevity and everything. Um, Pastor Danny, um, I've actually... Um, I know you, you believe in planning, all right? So I have saved the number of two of my favorite X's in my phone just in case this didn't work out. Just in case this doesn't work, I have, I have saved in my phone address book the number of my two favorite X's. I think they're great option B and C. She's, or he's definitely my option A. But I have got these numbers saved in my phone just in case it doesn't work how many of you in your imagination pulled out a knife or some kind of blunt instrument right there you were ready to go right there why does that suddenly make us so angry because when we enter into something like marriage there is an assumption that the other person has kissed everybody else goodbye there is this assumption this unwritten thing inside of us that guess what everybody else is no longer an option that I have burned my ships and I'm stepping in. And one of the reasons I say that your first step when you found Christ is to evict your ex is that we don't think of a relationship with Christ as a marriage. But we need to. But we need to. You see, he calls us servants. He calls us sheep. He calls us, he calls us many things in Scripture. But some of the, one of the most significant things he calls us is he calls us his bride. He calls us his bride. He gives us his name. He promises us commitment. He is your husband. He is yours. And the thing is, 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 is a lot of times we get our becauses mixed up. You see, because one of the first things many of us do that's the wrong first step is this. When we get saved or when we give our new life to God or when we come back to God is we make this list of rules. And this list of rules is going to dictate, okay, because of this list of rules, I'm going to pray. Because of this list of rules, I'm going to show up to church. Because of this list of rules, I'm going to give. Because of this list of rules, I need to listen to worship music every once in a while. And it's backwards. 
Because when you have a relationship and a marriage, everything flows out. Your because changes. It's because I'm married and because I'm madly in love, I'm going to spend time talking to my spouse. What do you call a marriage where they only speak two times a year? It's dead. That's what it is. Because I'm married to Christ, well, now I need to actually show up and serve. Because of that, your because changes. And if you have been operating out of a because, because of, well, I have to meet this list. I have to meet these things. Everything should flow out of your relationship. And what's interesting is this, is, is ladies and gentlemen, when you get a few weeks in after making a decision to follow Christ anew, and you begin looking back at the harbor, you begin looking back at where you came from, chances are you didn't evict your exes. Chances are you had deep in your address book something to go back to. And one of the first things you've got to do is you have got to evict your exes. You have to make sure that you burn the places that you would go back to if you didn't have Christ or decided to turn your back on this new decision. You have got to evict your exes. See, because Jesus is not a new accessory for your life. He's not. He did not come and die and give you his name to be a new accessory a piece of jewelry you wear. He did not come to be fire insurance po- a fire insurance policy to you, a one-way-out-of-hell card. He, he didn't come to be that. As a matter of fact, he made it so clear what he wants. He wants you to get to know him, and he wants to know you. I remember when I was really young, and I remember opening a Bible and sitting at home, and I found a book called The Song of Solomon. And um, I, was, I was like nine or ten years old, and it's a book that nine or ten-year-olds should not ever read because it's an entire book all about intimacy between us and God. Intimacy between us and God. I remember like flipping through it, and my dad comes around the corner like, what are you doing? <laughs> Reading the Bible. <laughs> This is amazing. Dad looks at it. He's like, no, 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 no. You need another 10 years before you read that one. But here's the thing is that there was a scripture that really helped me understand what Christ wanted out of this thing. We talk about relationship. We talk about relationship. We talk about relationship. But what does God really want out of this thing? In the book of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is giving a story about about the end end, end of times where people will walk up to his judgment seat. And he says something that confused me for a good bit until I really looked into it. He said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out many demons and in your name do many miracles? And I will look at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. And that verse really, like, I, it's just kind of like, oh, I don't, I don't like that verse. First off, you didn't know them? Jesus, you are the all-knowing God. You are omniscient. You understand everything. Did you just suddenly forget this person and that's why they're going to hell? But then I took a deeper look because the New Testament, Matthew specifically, is written in Greek. And so I looked at the word, the actual Greek word that Matthew used for the word know. And it's the Greek word gnoso. And what that word means is a Greek person would only use the word gnoso to describe an intimate close marital relationship. 
he would only use it to describe that kind of knowledge, that kind of, hey, I know that look on your face without you even saying a word that only a husband and wife have. And so in essence, Jesus is looking at those individuals who are calling them Lord, who think that they're going to heaven. And he looks at them and says, depart from me, I never gnoso you. I never knew you intimately. I never had deep personal relationship with you. You see, this strikes at a culture that is really interested and really content with cultural Christianity, where we said a prayer once upon a time, we'll visit his house every, every blue moon, but guess what? He just kind of fits as a side dish into my life. I think those will be the individuals who will be so surprised and say, Lord, Lord, and he'll have to say with all the heartbreak in his heart, depart from me. I never knew you. Why? Because relationship with him is that important. Something that breaks my heart is watching individuals who have grown up in church or known Christ or had a relationship with him, but it was so shallow that they began to wash away later on. In the book of Hosea, it explains what's going on and why, and it says this in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. He says, my people are being destroyed because they don't know me. You see, the only thing that will keep you close to Christ, pursuing him even in the hard moments, is the chasing after and getting to fall in love with Jesus. That's what will hold you. That's what will keep you. That's what will fulfill you. That's what will give you purpose. So the first step is evict your ex. Evict your ex. Burn your ships. The second step is end your exile. End your exile. Now, there is, there is a verse that I love in the book of Psalms, and God says, I, he sets the lonely in families. How happy of a verse is that? It's such a good verse, right? He sets the lonely in families. Why would God do that? Why does God set us within groups and within families? See, something I love to do when I unwind, I don't love to binge watch Netflix. The thing I love to do is I actually love to flip to BBC Earth. All right, And I love to watch those like nature shows, Discovery Channel, BBC Earth. If you think that that's boring, YouTube, not now, later, YouTube, Young Iguana versus Snakes. And I will accept your apology at danny at cityhope.cc. Right? It's that amazing. It's incredible. But you spend enough time on the channel and eventually what will happen is this. You'll end up with the lion hunt. And we have all seen the classic lion hunt. We've seen the water buffalo herd and they look impenetrable and we see the lions going through the grass and then just inexplicably one water buffalo will just isolate itself from the group and you find yourself yelling at the screen don't do that you'll be dinner and the lions uh, and we don't know why they isolated maybe they they had a an issue in the herd maybe they had some drama Maybe, maybe, maybe this person, maybe this water buffalo thought to themselves, well, you know what, maybe I'll be, I'll be good. I'll also start my own herd. I don't need the herd. We don't know how they think, all right? We can just fill in the blanks. But the lions then circle and devour the isolated one. And this is why scripture tells us, be on your guard, be sober and diligent, for your enemy, Satan, prowls around like a roaring lion, 
seeking whom he may devour. One of the first things you've got to do when you are serious about this thing called Christ and a relationship with him is you've got to end your exile. You've got to find a group. As soon as this service is done, if you have not, get to the Connect booth in the commons and sign up for a group tonight. You've got to do it. You've got to have community. You've got to have community. Life is not meant to be lived alone. We love to quote in, in, in Sunday school pictures, like Sunday school rooms, have these like different like the little pictures on the armor of God. Helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, the shoes of peace, the sword of the spirit, and the shield of faith. How many of you have ever seen like the illustrations and the drawings? A few of you have. But here's the interesting thing about the armor of God and Roman armor back in the day is there was no armor to cover the back. None. They would, they would intentionally leave the back of every soldier exposed. And you would say, why on earth would a brilliant army do this? Because what it does is it forces you. Because when you are by yourself, you have a huge blind side. You have a huge blind spot and you have a huge open weakness. This forced soldiers to find somebody else, go back to back with the soldier... And suddenly when I am back to back with a brother, suddenly when I'm back to back with a sister, I have no weakness. I have no weak side. I have no blind spot. What I cannot see coming at me, my partner can see coming at me. And this is the way it's supposed to work in the kingdom of God. Someone needs to have your back and you need to have someone's back. Sign up for a group. So that's the second step. First step, evict your ex. Second step, end your exile. And the third step is embrace the end game. Embrace the end game. So many of us find ourselves asking, God, what are you doing? And one of the most common questions I get after somebody has committed their life to God and they've started living that way is a disappointment with themselves. Often they beat themselves up over not being perfect. And the best way I can describe just how to view this is this. I grew up in North Dakota close to the Canadian border. Every winter at some point, it will get negative 50 degrees Fahrenheit. When you step outside, the nose hairs in your nose will freeze instantly. It's craziness. I don't know why humans decided to settle there, but they did. They just did. I don't, I don't know why. Well, anyways, my best friend had a pickup, and they would use it during the summer. And so during the winter, after they used it last, they would park it next to the house, and all winter would just sit like a frozen hunk of metal. Well, one year, I decided to help my friends start up the motor and go drive it around for a few hours to get it going again before we were going to use it for something. And so it was just getting warm enough to we could set it out there. It was an old truck, though. The interior latch of the door didn't open, so somebody had to let you out like it was a police car. Uh, the, the windows did not roll down at all. And as we started up the vehicle after we jumped it out, after we started it, We started going, but something we did not realize was this, is months earlier, before the first serious freeze, after the last time the truck had been used, a cat in the neighborhood had decided to crawl up into the engine and lay on the nice warm engine block, and then it hit negative 50 that night, and it was just a frozen hunk of cat all winter, and as we drove around In a vehicle with no working windows, with doors that did not open, suddenly that cat began to thaw. And you know when you first catch a whiff of something, it's just, you 
And then you catch the second whiff. And then the third thing just overwhelms you. And I'm like, I'm sensitive to smells. And so I'm about to throw up. My window won't roll down. My door won't open. And my friend's really goal-oriented. So he's like, no, we have to drive this thing. Two hours. He's driving with his door open. It was the worst smell I've ever smelled in my life. And I would say that that has a lot to do with how some of you are walking through your relationship with Christ. And as you begin to walk in obedience, suddenly things begin to thaw that you never knew were there. Suddenly problems pop up and issues pop up that were never present before in your life. And it kills me, but so often we have individuals who get so discouraged in that moment. Because they envision that they would just be perfectly obedient and it would go perfectly well. And they do not embrace the end game. They do not understand what God is doing. See, there is something and there's a word that, that, that we use for that process and it's called sanctification. And it's a theological word, but it simply means this, that when you get saved, there is a process that God takes you through during your life with Christ where he makes you more and more and more into the image of his son. Every single day, your walk with Christ, the closer you get with God, you will start to work on things and he'll work on you. And before long, you will become more and more and more like Jesus. It's a process. In Philippians 1 verse 6, it says this, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus returns. Paul goes on and he says this. He says in Philippians chapter 3, he says this in verses 12 through 14. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Something we've got to learn when we're pursuing Christ is that we're going to stumble. We're going to fall. A righteous man falls seven times, but each time he gets back up. That's what scripture tells us. You have to have the courage to get back up, to have patience with yourself, and to embrace the end game. What do you mean embrace the end game? You have to start thinking through what is God doing in me right now. If you've ever sat and thought, sat during a trial and wondered, what is God doing? Have you ever sat through a time of loneliness or distance from God and wondered, what is he doing? One of the prime examples is this, is when you give your life to God, there is this what we call a honeymoon phase. And that is this, is that everything is fantastic. You're embracing this brand new life. It is new. It's fresh. Everything is in color. And then comes a day where that honeymoon phase ends. And you begin to feel almost distant from God. And most people struggle with this question, Pastor Danny, what do I do when I can't feel God? What do I do when I can't sense him like I used to sense him? And this is what you have to realize is that he is a father. And if you have ever seen a father try to get a child to walk who couldn't walk before, it's a beautiful thing, and you'll suddenly understand something. And that is this. A father will take a child, and he will set the child next to something, whether it's a couch or a coffee table, and that child will reach out to grab at hold of it as a support, then the father will do something significant. The father will then separate himself from the child two to three steps. Now, is he separating himself from the child 
because he wishes to neglect the child? Is he separating himself from the child because he's done with the child? Or is he separating himself from the child because he is encouraging that child to go to the next phase and the next level, to step beyond where they have always ended? And the Father in heaven, after that honeymoon phase, this is often when you sense that first separation, is that like a Father in heaven who is teaching a child to walk, he will take a couple steps away and with his arms open, encourage you to meet him there to pursue harder, to find strength in your legs when you've never stood on your own before. And if you have struggled with distance from God and perhaps you have been there for years, the Father is still waiting there with his arms open. He hasn't given up on you. He hasn't abandoned you. He is infinite in patience and in kindness, and he wants your success more than anybody could ever want it. Tonight, if you have been so discouraged and disgusted with yourself, and maybe you know the steps that you need to take towards the Father, and you've never had that courage, and you're wondering if the Father is still waiting on you, could he still be there? It's been years. Could he still be waiting there with arms open? Tonight, I want to tell you with all the confidence I have in my heart that he is, and he's calling your name. Just like he called Moses' name out of the burning bush after Moses thought that God was done with him. Moses. He's calling your name tonight. See, that end game is a beautiful thing. Because sometimes the Father is willing to risk our comfort because he believes in our callings so much. He will never sacrifice your callings for your comfort. There's a quote from my boy C.S. Lewis. Love him. And if you've ever gone through a time where you didn't know what God was doing in you, I hope you look at the screens tonight and make this personal. But it says this. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew these jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here and putting an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards... You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace, and he intends to come and live in it himself. Oh, if you only knew how much he believed in you. See, God doesn't make mistakes, and with his own hands, he crafted you, and he is a believer in the end game. He is a believer in what he is out to do in you. So much so that he's willing to risk uncomfortable seasons in your life to get you to go to that next place. I want you to do something tonight. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Evict your ex. End your exile. Embrace your end game. Tonight we're going to take a moment of reflection before we move forward. And it's simply this. Maybe you're in this room, and I don't care if you're a brand new person at this, or if you have done this longer than perhaps you know. 
But do you have boats that you keep going back to in your harbor that need burning? Do you have X's in your address book that need deleting? Do you have other options outside of him that you keep running back to? Because tonight I'm calling you to a new type of marriage than you've been in, a new type of relationship, one where he is your only choice, your only option, the only one that you will choose to run through. And if that's you in here, I'm not going to have you raise your hand or run to the front. I'm just going to give you a second to acknowledge that before God and say, God, that's us. That's you and me. That's where I've left things. Maybe you're in here tonight and you have been in exile. Maybe you can name some legitimate hurts or maybe people didn't believe in you or maybe you felt uncomfortable or maybe you have labeled yourself as someone who's just not good with people and crowds or whatever. But the Lord has placed you in a place where you are not only called to have somebody else's back, but somebody is called to have your back. And the kingdom is not complete without you in it. We want you. We need you. And perhaps you have made every excuse under the sun to keep from being in true community and true family with others. If that's you, take a moment to acknowledge that before the Father. Say, that's... That's where I've left things, God. This is where I have, I have left this boat stranded. And finally, perhaps you're in here tonight and you have been going through a whole lot of, God, I don't get what you're doing. And tonight, God is calling you to embrace the end game, to take a look at the finished product, to know that what is beyond your field of vision and belief is grander than anything that you could ever dream of, and God wants you to believe in it too. Tonight, if that's you and you have found yourself giving up the race and stepping aside because you just simply didn't understand, and tonight you want to step back into that end game, you want to believe in the one who believes so much in you, Take a moment and acknowledge that before God. Father, tonight, we stand here, your people. Oh, we're nothing but dust, and then your breath came. And Lord, across this room, as we take in the 101s, Lord, I speak a new foundation in this room for brand new people. Lord, who have just found you, may you give them courage. May you give them breath. May you give them life. May you give them a joy. And Lord, would you give them a strength when the wind starts blowing. For those who have been in this a while, who perhaps have found themselves lacking in one of these 101s, Lord, would you restore relationship? Would they find you close? Would they find you near? May they know you. May they know you. And Lord, for those in here tonight who has sensed you calling them, may they respond wholeheartedly. God, we love you. We thank you for the days ahead. In your name. And everybody said, amen.